Okay. Okay, so would all the people that live in Casa Grande, would you please stand up right now? Casa Grande? <clears throat> Rachel, they want to know who lives in Casa yeah, Grande. Casa Grande, come on, stand up. Yeah, okay. So this is Dominic Grimaldi, and his wife, Rachel, is over there. And then uh, one other person to embarrass. Um, those of you who attend Redemption Peoria, will you please stand up? There he is, yes. Peoria is represented tonight. Isn't that awesome? So bringing uh, uh, greetings from Sean Meyer. So welcome to Backstories. This is Dominic Grimaldi. We've known each other about 10 years because um, there's no way we could have known each other longer than that, right? Because of your interesting life, right? So um, Dominic uh, and I are friends. We both do prison ministry. Uh, He knows a little bit more about it, and we're going to get into some of that, but he's also a pastor of a church, and we're just going to give him a way to be able to tell his story tonight. So I have a bunch of questions here. Um, These are the questions that I didn't tell you I was going to ask, so we'll start with those. Um, So tell us... Subterfuge. (laughs) Yes. So tell us your story, where you grew up, where you lived, what you did, and tell us about your life in prison. Well, if you can tell by my accent, I'm from Oklahoma. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) I am from New York City, obviously. Um, I grew up, I was born on 116th Street in Pleasant Avenue. My wife likes the way I say that. They have a special way to say 116, right? Um, Which was East Harlem. That's where I was born. And from there, I moved to the Bronx after that. City Island, I should say, where my wife is from the Bronx. But then my mom and dad separated, so my mom went to Staten Island, my father stood in the city, so I was kind of back and forth. So um, I lived in Manhattan, I lived in Staten Island, lived in Brooklyn, I lived in the Bronx, I just lived, lived all over New York. Yeah. And so um, what did you do? I mean, did you go to school? Were you in school very much? Were you in school at all? Yeah, it's a lot of questions, yeah. this guy, huh? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I did go to school. Um, but, you know, I, I'm trying to think what grade. I, I, I did get, I did give my high school diploma. Um, so I did go, I did go to high school. I went to uh, high school in the city. I went to school in Staten Island and stuff like that. So I went to school. And you, um, what, when you were done with school, what did you do? What, what were you doing for a living for income? I went to jail. I mean, I, you know, I really, didn't, I really didn't have no steady job or anything like that, so I, you know, I, I never really worked. You ended up in jail. I did. So not just jail, but prison, right? Prison. Yeah. So from what I understand, from the time you were 20 years old to the time you were 52, mm. you spent a total of 28 months outside of prison. I did. That's right. So I was in jail. Uh, I first got arrested in 1977. I got out in 87. Um, from 77 to 87, I, I was, I was out on bail for six months. Then I got out in 87 and then from 87, I was home to like 90. So it was 22 months there, six months before that. And then I got 20 years straight and I did, and I did 19 years and eight months straight after that. And that was mostly in Sing Sing, right? No, that was federal. I was, that was in... That oh, was you were? In, I thought in, you were in Sing Sing I for was. a while. You were, okay. I was all over. You were all over. So you've, you've experienced it all. I have. Yeah, okay. So you're in prison on a 20-year run. Yes. And what happened? 
during that time. So at that time, I had about 15 years in. Up, you go to my conversion yeah, story? Sure. Okay. So I had about 15 years in at the time. So I, I think about this harebrained scheme while I'm in there, and I want to get my teeth white. Now, who wants to get their teeth white in prison? <laughs> I mean, so this is, I mean, my wife is like going, so I seen a dentist, and the dentist liked me. He really did. I'm a likable guy, and he liked me. <laughs> I'm laughing because you're likable. Yeah. Okay. So, and I, you know, and I, 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 and I mean this. I didn't give the guy a penny. I just asked him if he would whiten my teeth. He says, you know, and he really liked me. I was talking about New York. He liked, you know, he liked to talk about Italian food and things like that. So we became kind of friends. And the thing is, he's a staff member, and I'm, I'm, I'm a convict. So that usually, you got to be a little careful there. For them, anyway, you know. So I asked him if he would whiten my teeth. And he said, I know. <laughs> and um, I know, like, why would you whiten your teeth in prison? Who are you going to impress, right? Um, but I asked him if I, you know, I asked him if he would whiten my teeth. And he says, you know, Dominic, I'll put you on a call out. And he would put me on a call out. And I'd go there and he'd give me white strips. Remember those things? So you guys whiten your teeth too, so why can't I, right? <laughs> so I, I, asked the, I asked the dentist, I, like I told you, and he put me on a call out and he gave me the strips and I would do them, but somebody told on me. Imagine they tell you on you even in prison. But one of the inmates there that worked for the dentist, I guess got jealous or something, and he went to the SIS lieutenant, who's like the fed... He's like, the, he's like the feds within the feds. He like investigates. You guys get this? You know about this? You, you guys watch TV, right? Don't believe none of the stuff that happens on TV because it's different than what happens in there. Um, so, he in, so what happened is I go back to my cell and six cops go in my cell and they take me to the hole. And you know, Rachel, I don't know if I told you this. As I'm going to the hole, right, I'm trying to put the white strips in my pocket. <laughs> I mean, this is, I'm, you know, and I'm saying to myself, this is crazy. This is what I'm going to the hole for, and I'm putting these things. They talk about being like a dumb criminal, right? <laughs> so I wind up going to the hole, and the SIS lieutenant was mad, because they think right away when, when, when you got like a, uh, a, a prison worker, because he's, he's, he's not a guard, and... You know, he's bringing you in stuff. They think right away this is like money's exchange. And the guy just did me a favor. I have a way with words. No, I'm only kidding. But he just, he did me a favor. I didn't give the guy a quarter, you know. Um, so he's thinking this is a big to-do. But they can't do it. I mean, that's illegal. You so can't. they think this is contraband. There's more to it. Oh, it is. There is definitely yeah. contraband. Yeah. That's why I'm in the hole. But they don't understand the whole dynamics of how it happened, you know. And there was really nothing to it. Just like I said, I went in there, a guy liked me, and he said he put me on a call out to whiten my teeth. <laughs> I know, it sounds crazy, right? Uh, but it's the truth. So um, I, I go to the hole, and they got me on, they put me kind of on, on buckwheats. So buckwheats is a saying that, you know, they kind of put me on the pay you no mind list. So they, they put me in the hole, and they're not bringing me my property. And I'm really mad. Because you, once you get in the hole, you're allowed to get your property. 
And I keep telling the guards, listen, where's my property? I have nothing. I, I mean, there's nothing in the cell. They let you out an hour a day. So I was kind of bored. You know, when we get my property, you get books. You got your stuff you can read. I'm, I'm fine. You know, I'm used to being away anyway. Um, so I was kind of bored. So the only thing was in the, my, in the cell was a Bible. It was the only thing that, for three days, I didn't get my property. And I says, I'm bored stiff, man. Let me start reading this thing. I didn't know what, I didn't know what to do. So I started reading First and Second Kings, and I got saved. I started repenting, and I believed the gospel. In, that was it. Nothing. I mean, in First and Second Kings. Yeah. Well, let me to see my background. Yeah. yeah. So I know that's crazy, right? Um, that that's in the Bible, First and Second Kings. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, it's there. Okay. All right. It's, it's in our Bible. Um, <laughs> the Casa Grande Bible. Yeah. yeah exactly. Okay. Right. So in my life, in my lifestyle, you know. You know, people in that position, kings, were people that I would kind of look up to. So I kind of was getting this stuff. You know, I was see these kings, they, you know, they got money and they got chariots or whatever they had. You know, they, they, they had everything. But then I started reading about a God that actually controlled them. And I actually said to myself, I'm worshiping the wrong God, man. And I just repented and believed the gospel. Not, that was it. Um, the problem was I couldn't do the rest of my five years in the hole. So what they did was because the SIS lieutenant did not like me, nor should he. I mean, I was kind of a manipulator, you know. Um, he gave me buckwheats and he shipped me to California. <laughs> He, uh, he shipped me to United States Penitentiary in Lompoc, uh, California. So I was in the hole for about six months. You stay in the hole, you stay in 23 hours a day, lockdown. You get out for about an hour. But I'm used to that. I've been in the hole before. It's not a big deal. In fact, it's nice and peaceful in there. Um, but again, I still had five years left that I had to get out of the hole and, and you know, so one of the things, this is a whole new life for me, because I'm a Christian now. Yeah, what I mean, do you do when you become a Christian in that situation? What's next? Read the Bible. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I mean, for me, I, you could have kept me locked in there for five years, because I could have just read my Bible. I'm serious. When my property got there, it didn't even matter if it got there. But I did have to get out. I mean, they don't keep you in the hole for five years, um, unless you kill somebody, but... I mean, I just got my teeth whitened. <laughs> so I got out, and you know, I, from you know, being a long time in prison, you know, my dad died in prison. We also got me, my, I also went to prison with my father and my brother. So my dad died in prison. So, you know, from where I lived and stuff, they kind of know us, you know, I'm, you know my, from my neighborhood and stuff. So when I, got out, when I got out of the hole, I had to go, you know, just see some certain guys, you know, let them know. I, you know, because I was scared to death, man, because I, I don't know. Because if, if a guy would have came and told me that he found religion, I would have th thought right away, he's a rat. I don't want nothing to do with the guy. So I was kind of scared. Because from my old lifestyle, when somebody finds religion, means they're weak. 
But in my case, God's providence, I don't become a Christian until after I got 15. If you're going to rat after 15 years, you've got to be stupid. Because you only got a few years left. Usually you do that before, you know, you do. So I'm already almost done with my prison time, you know. So um, I went and speak to the, the right person, and I says, listen, man, I says, I, 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 just, I just wanted to, I just was honest with him. I just told him what happened, and um, he says, you know, kid, he says, you know, because he, he says, I, I, I know you, my brother-in-law at the time, you know, my, my family. He says, if this is real, I'm, you know, just do me a favor, come down, sit with us once in a while and stuff like that. And, you know, God was really kind. I was, I was really afraid, you know, cause I, but God was kind and, and he actually had my friends that I had a lifestyle with find favor with me. They, and I was able to be in prison and and then I, I met a couple of chaplains, and um, they brought me in books, and I started preaching and teaching in prison. And um, I started in the Catholic Church because I didn't know where else to go. I just didn't go. And I, and I wound up with a, a Bible study on the side in the Catholic Church. And then before you know it, we had our own. I broke away from the Catholic Church, just like Martin Luther. I'm not kidding. <laughs> right? I mean, um, and God was really kind. He said that we had a Bible study that we had 70 people that would they put us on call outs in federal prison. We'd go up there with an interpreter and I would preach and teach. And, um, and at that time, I was just reading my Bible like eight, ten hours a day and just studying God's word. My brother was sending me all commentaries and I had, I mean, that's... So you became a pastor in a sense in prison. I did. I did. I, I, whatever that was, I mean, I had no idea or anything about this life. You know, my mom was a, was a Christian. She was praying for me, obviously, but this was all new to me. I had no idea. You didn't go to church growing up very much? No, sir. No? No. Okay. Just on Christmas. So then you got out um, 2009. Yeah, but let me, yeah. So, what so happened, go back yeah, if you yeah, need to go back. Let me yeah. go back a little bit because there's a, there's a part of the story that, that, that's important. So... I'm working, in the, I'm working in the Catholic Church at the time. Really, I'm working in the chaplain, the chaplain office. And I'm working there because I'm working with the Protestant chapel, so I got all, access to all the books and stuff like that and things. So what happens is they, they got a new, a, new cha, a new head chaplain that comes in. He happens to be a Catholic priest. So when he comes in, I help him put all his stuff away and everything like that. And I told the, I told the chaplain, my friend, I says, Chaplain Nelson, I says, I think the Catholic priest likes me. He says, Dominic, he doesn't like you. He wants you fired. What do you mean? Wants, he wants me, he wants me fired. What did I do? He don't want you around. I says, for what reason? He says, I don't know. He just wants me to fire you. I said, okay. So he fired me and stuff. But I still went up there and preached and teached and stuff. And then what happened was there was a Life Connections program. A Life Connections program where you actually, when you have two years or less, you can go there and you're there with all different kinds of faith. And it's called, like I said, Life Connections. So this priest, to get rid of me, he puts me into the Life Connections program in um, Leavenworth. From now I'm in Lompoc, now they want to send me to Kansas City, right? So, but little did he know, what he meant for evil, God meant for good. 
Because when I went to Leavenworth and I was in the Life Connections program, I met Chaplain Berg. And Chaplain Berg was a guy that brought me seminary book after seminary book. He was uh, the chaplain in, in, um, in Leavenworth. And when I was about to get out, I told him, I says, um, man, I says, you think I could be a pastor? I mean, that's all I know how to do is preach. I don't have to do nothing else anymore. And um, he says, I'm going to try to find you a church. He's, but I'm going to tell you something. He told me, Chaplain Nelson told me this too, Rachel. He says, for a guy like yourself to go out and for people to take you serious, you need to go to seminary. He says, I'm not saying that you have to be, seminary's not going to call you. I believe you're called. But since you are called, you need to go to seminary. He says, because that's going to give you, in the world, he says, that's going to give you some credence. So, um, which I think was good advice, yeah. right? And it's, they weren't doubting my salvation or nothing like that. They were just wondering after doing 32 years in prison with only a couple of years out, who's going to, you know, here's this guy going to want to be a pet, what, you know. So um, he found me a church, um, First Southern Baptist Church in Scottsdale, because my brother relocated to Scottsdale. That's why I wound up coming to Arizona. Um, that's why I met Frank. <clears throat> Frank had the pleasure of meeting me, right, Frank? I'm that's sure. right. Wonderful. Um, he let me preach in his church. Imagine that. Um, so... When I came out, I lived with my brother. I started going to church. And I was faithful every Sunday. And I started going to seminary. The church paid for my seminary. Started paying for my seminary. And I went to, I, I went to school. I mean, started school. But the seminary put me on like a year probation. I said, man, I'm on parole. I got to go on a year probation <laughs> from the seminary? How many paroles can I have? <laughs> So I, I, because, you know, I did all this time in prison. I had Dr. Johnson and Dr. Norwood. They really went to bat for me. But they says, listen, we'll let you take a couple of classes, but we want to make sure that this is the... But that's been my life since I got out. And I'm out 10 years, but that's been my life. I always had to prove something to somebody because of where I came from. So you know what? I don't have a problem with that because I don't blame them. You know, especially if I'm going to be a pastor, people are going to trust me with their lives and their families and their children. So I get all that. I mean, I'm not, you know, I know I'm born again. I know I'm saved. So I, you know, but so I was on probation in the seminary and pro, pro federal parole. So I'm on. So when I first meet, let me back up again. Yep, you don't sure. mind. Right? No, go ahead. So when I meet my parole officer. She was a federal parole officer, obviously, and she usually did the high-profile cases. She became friend, friends with Rachel. Um, what was her name again, Rach? I forgot. I'm trying to think. Um, Pam? Pam something, right? Uh, so when I went and tell her, I says, listen. I says, Pam, I says, uh, I'm a Christian. She goes, listen, I don't want to hear none of that stuff. <laughs> She says, I don't care about you being a Christian. Let me just tell you what you're going to be doing. Tell me about urine tests and all this and everything. And she says, you know, she's probably heard that story and stuff. But I told her, I says, you're not going to have no problem out of me. I'm going to tell you something. Let me, let me, 
forward a little bit. After three and a half years on parole, I had 15 years parole. After three and a half years parole, she was 20 years. She was 20 years as a parole officer. I went into her office. She goes, you know what, Dominic? I'm going to go to the federal judge and ask him to release you from all parole. Never in her life did she ever do that in 20 years. Wow. She went to the federal judge herself, and I, today I have no parole, no nothing, zero, nothing. Yeah. Took all my parole, unheard of. Right, rates got all my rights restored. I could even vote. I don't know if I'm gonna vote for Trump, but I could even vote, <laughs> right? So I started school, um, and obviously I passed a year probation. Now I got no federal parole, I'm off probation with the school. So I'm free now, right? Um, so a couple of, so nobody would really give me a chance to preach. I mean, there were some people in the school like Dr. Johnson, Dr. they really believed in me and knew I was saved. So one day I, I walk into, uh, I was teaching a Bible study in First Southern Baptist Scottsdale. Remember Rachel? When, um, and that's when, Barry Norwood's yes, church at the yeah, time, he's, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, so Dr. Norwood one day I walk into church, and I never believe this. I'm looking in the bulletin, and they're ordaining me to the ministry. And I'm looking in there, and Dr. Norwood says, oh, you read the bulletin? He says, let me tell So I, he tells me, he says, you know, you've been here for about a year. So I'm kind of reformed in my theology, and they, they weren't real. So every time, like, I would speak or something, he'd say, Dominic's going to talk. He's going to come at things from a different perspective. He was like... <laughs> But they really loved me. They probably wanted to get rid of me because I was reformed. I'm really kidding. Yeah. But no, no. But, but, but Dr. Norwood was really kind. We really, but to this day, so they ordained me. They had like 35 deacons there. And they ordained me into the ministry. And um, Keith Henry's son, Adam Henry, who's now a chaplain in Florence, He's the head chaplain. Oh, he is? Yeah. Okay. So he works with Chaplain Lee? Yes. He's oh, Chaplain Lee's okay. boss. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. So he was a pastor. And when I met him in seminary, I'm going to seminary with him in school. And he was going away for two weeks. And he says, you want to come and preach in my church? Do I want to come and preach in your church? Of course I want to come and preach in your church. Nobody really was letting me preach. Probably because I was a prisoner, an ex-prisoner, right? I'm only out 10 months at this time, and I'm already licensed to the ministry. Um, and then I go and preach at Adams Church, and two weeks later, I got hired in Black Canyon City to be their pastor. Wow. And I've been pastoring for 10 years ever since. Huh. God has been so kind. I remember telling Dr. Norwood, I remember telling Dr. Norwood, he says, Dominic, what do you want to do when you get out? I says, this is a true story. I told him, I'd like to work in a Christian bookstore. Dr. Norwood winds up saying, Dominic, everybody wants to work in a Christian. You're not going to be able to get a job in a Christian bookstore. Sure enough, that's where I got a job in a Christian bookstore. <laughs> that's where I met Rachel. Um, so, I mean, God has been really, really kind. So after I'm, I'm pastoring for about five and a half years in, in Black, Black Canyon, Canyon City. Yeah. I hear there's good barbecue up there. Yeah, there is. <laughs> There's also a good pie place, isn't there, Rachel? Yeah, yeah. The pies are overrated, though, really. Rachel doesn't really like the pies. But, but um, I put her on blast, right? So 
after five and a half years, we, the church was really kind to us. But I'll tell you something. We had a little parsonage. And my wife was from Phoenix. And I remember Rachel telling me, she goes, this is where I'm going to live? She says, it's a little parsonage like that, you know. And I says, well, yeah, this is where we're going to live, I guess, you know. But after five and a half years, they were really kind to me. Um, I happened to get a little sinus infection. And I went to the doctor, got an MRI, and they says, you have a brain aneurysm. So I had a brain aneurysm on my hypothalamus gland in my brain. And um, that's a walking time bomb, man. I'm just thank God that they found it. Now, they found it because you did an MRI for your sinus yes, infection, right? They weren't, there's no symptoms with an aneurysm. So... I was shocked, I mean, I, to, to say the least. So I was at Mayo Clinic, that's where we were going, and Dr. Zimmerman, who was the, at that time, was the head neurosurgeon, he said, you know, Dominic, this is in a bad spot. If it blows, but he says it's really in a bad spot. And he, though he was a great doctor, this was a tough surgery for him. He really didn't want it, he just wanted to watch it. Then Dr. Bernard Bendock comes from Chicago, becomes the department head in Mayo Clinic. And he told me, he says, Dominic, he says, you know, and I'm married at the time, you know, Rachel's much younger than me. And you know, just, you know, it's like a time bomb, Frank, I mean, really. He says, you know, Dominic, he says, he says, I can do this, he says, I'll give you an 88% chance to live. He said, but I, I can do it. Not really to live, but to be more, to be more cognitive. 88% chance that you, you'll be back to norm, normal. You know, so having a young wife and stuff, you know, I, we spoke about this and things like that. And, you know, we figured God did this for a reason. I, MRI would, you know, put, trying to put things into place and stuff. So you do the surgery, was it 10 hours, right, Rachel? 10 hour surgery. And when I got out of surgery, I didn't know nobody for two weeks. Didn't know, I was kind of on and off with my wife. I, they never thought I would ever speak again. Now you can't stop me from talking, right? <laughs> but, you know, I remember, I remember like these teams of doctors that would come, they'd have white coats on. What were they, what, Rachel? Yeah, Dr. Bendock always thought I would recover, but I, I just, you know, it just wasn't. I remember my wife asking me one day, am I your wife? And I says, no, you're my cousin, because we're relating all these stories back and forth. But um, before I went to my brain surgery, Casa Grande had called me. They were going to wait for me to get out, so they heard my sermons. They came and heard me preach, and they, they wanted to give me a chance to pass it down there. I've been there now for almost four years, uh, almost four years. Um, but they waited for the surgery. They did. I preached the worst sermon. Listen. No, I'm serious. So I'm listening to this, Greg. I'm at a... So I preached at Greg's church. Greg was a deacon, uh, chairman of deacons at one church. He had me preaching down there a couple of times. But... Um, so I'm two weeks out of the hospital. And my wife, and the church is saying, Dominic, take as long as you want. Because they heard me preach before, before the aneurysm and stuff. Take as long as you want. I says, no, Rachel, we need to go preach. My wife is telling me, Dominic, you are not ready to preach. So I'm two weeks, was it? 
longer? Was it longer? Two months? A few months. I just wasn't really ready because I was back and forth at the hospital, right? I mean, I was back and forth, so I wasn't really ready to preach. Bottom line, it was a few months. A lot of this stuff is fuzzy to me because my short-term memory is a little shot. Um, <clears throat> so I wind up going there. I think I went there on a Thursday. I wind up in the hospital on a Friday, right? Something like that. But still, gabados, hard-headed. I still wanted to preach. I went up there and I preached. A, I, didn't eat, I, was, I don't know how they hired me. I'm telling you. I preached the worst sermon in the world. I, don't, I just kept repeating myself. I was sweating. They were badgering me with questions, and I was just totally confused. I'm dead serious. That happens every Sunday at this church. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they hired me. You know, they, I was like 54 to 3. I don't know what they were listening to. They must have been on... <laughs> I don't know what, how they did it, because if I... I the, yeah. The Holy Spirit, praise yeah, the Lord. Because I told Rachel, I said, I know my my wife tells me she's my big biggest critic and my biggest fan. One has to be, but I says, how do I do? She says, you're probably not coming here. <laughs> um, but so tell tell me about. Um, you say that you and Rachel met in the bookstore in Scottsdale, but yes. I mean, like, what was that like? Was she working there? Or was no, she a, no, no. She, was she a customer that yeah, suddenly started she, buying more books than usual, no. or? <laughs> How did that work? No, I don't know. I just, what I try to do is I try to, so we, I don't know how I didn't get fired in the bookstore, but the, I'm going to know I'm serious, but the manager really liked me. Here I go again with the people liking me, right? <laughs> this is where I get myself in trouble. Did he get you some white strips? No, no, no. No, it was a she. <laughs> oh, okay. No, but she, she, but what I used to do is I used to hide all the Joyce Meyer and Joel Osteen books. I didn't want nobody to read that stuff. <laughs> so they, I'm telling you, and they would, um, I would like try to steer them to all the reform stuff, which was like this much in the bookstore, <laughs> right? I mean, I mean, everything else was like all this prosperity stuff and with Joel Osteen with the smiley face and things like that. So my manager would, cause she really liked me. I'm serious. She would come up to me as Dominic, you're going to get us all fired. And I had Ben with me. Ben was another guy, another reform kid. And we used to like steer everybody to these you know, like little section of Pilgrim's Progress and stuff like that, you know? So, um, so anybody that would come into the store, I'd try to like steer them to this little section with four books, you know, <laughs> with thousands of books in there. So I think Rachel was looking for some movies or something. I was, you know, um, I, I think I was trying to, there was some decent movies in there or something like that. So I, I had, um, Esther for her phone number. She wouldn't give me her number. She gave me her email. I really didn't know nothing about email. I mean, I'm, I'm lucky about when I got out of prison, I'm seeing everybody like this on, with things near the ears. I thought it was the hearing. It was cell phones. I mean, I was in prison a long time, you know. But Rachel gave me her email, and I, we emailed and stuff. And then she finally gave me her number, I, I don't know, maybe two, three weeks later or something. But, and then... Um, we used to fight like cats and dogs, man. Right? We, I don't know how we got married, but I love her to death. But I'm telling you, we, I... What were, where was your first date? What did you do on your first date? Do you remember? Probably fought. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I don't... Do you, was that the first date when you ran out of the car? No, right? 
Not because I was doing anything funny. I'm saying I, we were just arguing. Oh, she didn't like my shoes. I, I, she says, you're going, to, you're going out. <laughs> oh. You says you're gonna wear those shoes. <laughs> so I well, oh, no, I'm gonna take the ones out of here and wear those. I only have one pair of shoes. So she sounded like she didn't want to go out with me because of my shoes. <laughs> So it was IHOP for a Bible study. That was the first date, yeah. yeah. All right. Um, so tell me something. What are you passionate about? God. Okay. I really, uh, I'm telling you, I, I you know, I, it's funny when God saves somebody, I, I wanted to be a baseball announcer. You can tell, right? I mean, I really do. I love, I mean, I, listen, you, my, my family thought I was crazy. It would be a hundred degrees, 90 degrees in the Bronx in New York City. I mean, with the humidity in City Island. And they would go to the beach and I would sit down and watch double headers and announce the games with the voice off. What a dope. I mean, imagine if people thought I was crazy. They'd be there. I would take the voice off of the baseball games and just announce the games to myself. Little did I know that God was grooming me to be a preacher. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah. I mean, I always wanted to be like Phil Rizzuto, and then I become like, uh, I don't know, like Frank Switzer. <laughs> That's amazing. So you're passionate about God. Tell us about your church in Casa Grande. Yeah, they're really kind to me, man. I don't know how they put up with me. They're really good to us. Um, you know, they, uh, you know, we went up there. The church was really in disarray. I remember I walked in. Uh, Rachel's a church secretary now. By God, she's my boss, but... Um, the last church secretary, when I was, I, was, the church was really fractured. We walked in there, the church secretary said, the only reason you're here, because you're the only one that would take the job. I said, wow. I said, which, was, wasn't, which wasn't true. Yeah, right, like, thank you. That wasn't true, but it was just a split church. There was a lot of, there was just, you know, the pastor left not on great terms or something. You know, you hear those stories, but you know, I wasn't there, so I don't know, but I knew that the church was split. You know, my mom always tell me this, his side, her side, then the truth. So I, I've, I've always lived by that. Yeah. So, but right now, by God's grace, that church is a healed church, man. And not because of anything I did. I mean, that church is sound theologically. I mean, uh, we got elders. Uh, it's... It's a miracle. The church is a, is, a, is a miracle walking. Right, Rachel? I mean, it's really a, a church that people walk in, they feel loved. Um, they got to listen to me for an hour. And, you know, I don't know how they do that, but they do that. Our music isn't the best, but, you know, we, you know, we just preach the gospel every Sunday, man. We want people to be saved. I tell people every time I get behind the pulpit, my wife will tell you, I preach to nobody, like nobody saved in the congregation, including me. That's how I preach every Sunday, like nobody saved, me either. So we preach the gospel every Sunday. We want people to repent and believe the gospel. Um, and uh, we got a healthy church. That's good. We really do, by God's grace. Yeah. So tell me about um, 
what you've been doing in, in uh, the Iman complex in Florence and how that got started. I'm a preacher in prison again. So this is amazing. I, I, so I, I'm off parole. They actually gave, imagine this, they gave me a badge to go into prison. Then they handed me walkie-talkies and keys. I'm like, when they, <laughs> listen, when I went in there and they handed me a walkie-talkie, I went, no, you can take it. I'm like walking around with a walkie-talkie. If you ever touched one of those in prison, it's over. Yeah. But here I am, I'm, I'm preaching in prison and, and going in there and I relate to the guys and I know when they're kind of down and out because I've been there, man. I kind of relate to them dudes, you know? Um, and I give them the gospel. I don't give them no f fluff and I challenge them to the scriptures and um, I enjoy it. So how long ago did you start preaching there? I, I don't know. I have, I think... Was it about eight months ago? Maybe? Yeah, no, my, March will be a year because I got okay, my badge yeah. in, 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 in March yeah. of, of this year. So there, year. there are two state complexes down in Florence. One's called Iman, it's huge, with several yeah, yeah, different yeah. units. And one is called Florence, which is the one that we went to a couple Saturday nights ago with, the, with Malia was with us, um, the Caleb, the musicians. Um, Florence is the oldest prison in all of Arizona, the Florence complex. And again, it's huge, d several different units. Um, and I write to prisoners in both the Florence complex and the Iman complex. So there's two guys in the cook unit where you go in to preach and yeah. to teach. And they, they write me these letters. And this was back in March or April. And they said, they said, hey, they finally found a really good teacher to come in and teach us the Bible. Have you ever heard of this guy? His name is Dominic Grimaldi. And so so that, that was like, again, is just a reminder that he and I have known each other and we've been close and we have all these uh, connections. But um, it was so exciting that these guys were excited that you were coming in to teach them because they yeah. said, you're terrific. Yeah, you know, I, I challenge the guys. I mean, because I... At the end of the day, so you can't, you can't fake being a Christian in prison. You just can't. You're too, so, and I'm not being pejorative. I'm be, I tell this to, to the congregation that I serve. You can come here on a Sunday, but if nobody knows what you're doing five days a week, that's between you and the Lord. But in prison, you can't hide, man. If you say, you know, people watch you when you say you're a Christian, they watch you. Greg, they watch you every minute because you're just, you're on display. You, there's, you can't, where are you going to go? You can't, like, go to Brooklyn. I mean, you got to stay, you got to stay right there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people see you 24-7. I mean, you don't, you know, um, but I tell these guys that when they get out, it's a whole new ball game because in prison, like people run yards. You know what it is to run a yard? Like they run the yard or they run a TV. Well, all that changes once you hit the brick, so to speak. You don't run nothing, zero. You're just a, you know, another dot in the universe. So, I, you know, it's, so it's gonna be a challenge. When I, when I came home, I mean, I, I was, you know, used to having a lot of money at one time. When I came home, I had to take a bus. It took me three hours to go to work. I was working in uh, 
not Chompy's, one of those places. They hired me for $7.50 an hour, $7.50 an hour, just to put the store together. And then when they opened the store, they fired me. Hmm. You know, so I, you know, it was, and it took me three hours to get to, I lived in Scottsdale with my brother, but the bus systems out here are terrible. Not like New York, you get a train or a bus. I mean, you got to travel over here, it takes you three hours. So, you know, and I, you know, I worked and then I finally got the job in the Christian bookstore. But I challenge these guys to let them know that God is sovereign and God's in control and he'll, he'll open up some spots, man. He really will. He's a good God. Is there a, is there a desperation for the gospel in prison that is not necessarily uh, prevalent out on the outside? Yeah I'll, yeah, I'll tell you why. Because in, 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 in the prison, and I, listen... I am not saying this pejoratively. I mean this. I mean this. God can use anybody. But in the prisons, predominantly, they, they gravitate towards the prosperity type of gospel. Mm-hmm. Because their life is, you're in prison because you want to be prosperous. You right. want to make money. Yeah. Usually you go to prison for that, unless you're just, high even then you're doing it to make money to get high right yeah so that attracts prisoners mm-hmm. because now they think they can become rich by preaching or te- you know whatever it is or f- or following these certain ways name it claim it doubt it do without it so that attracts prisoners it just does so i want to give them so what i do is i don't attack those people I just keep layering truth so the error will just go down. Because if you go in there and just saying this person's a heretic or that, that's not, that's not the way to do it. What you do is you just keep layering truth and the error will eventually end. Because if, if you go and tell them, you know, because listen, God can use a Joyce Meyer, a Joel Osteen. He used a donkey. And I'm not saying that pejoratively. He, he can yeah. use anybody that's teaching his word. So I'm not going to go in there and start bad-mouthing people who aren't maybe as doctrinally good as they should be. So I'm just going to lay a truth. And hopefully, by God's grace, that error will go down. And that's what I do. I just keep layering truth. And then before you know it, they're asking me questions. And I do the same thing. You know, being in a typical Southern Baptist church, it's a typical Southern Baptist church, but we preach the gospel every Sunday so you can see the Reformed theology just comes out, but not from me, from the Word of God. So that's, I've learned to be a politician. And you have to be a politician sometimes. You know, I got my teeth whitened, right? (laughs) That's funny. you talk about the Reformed theology, and you just finished mm-hmm. Ephesians, which is, you know, pretty important book in that regard as well. You just finished teaching through it. Um, no, I just started. Oh, you just started. But I did, okay. I did tell the congregation, for the first three chapters, you're going to see the sovereignty, the predestination of God. But chapters four and five is going to be, are you one of God's people? You've yeah. got to be walking. Yeah. You know, paratome, you've got to walk. You're walking the gospel. So there's that. You know, there's that sovereignty and responsibility. God's sovereignty, man, they're both in the Bible. And, you know, you can't put them together, but they're there. They're kind of lines that run this way. You know, I mean, you can just, you know, save your, you're saved from the foundations of the world, but are you walking that? 
Yeah. You know, that's right. That's the other part right, of sure. it. I mean, you know, that's yeah. the hard part. So also in prison, one of the things I've noticed is there tends to be a, a, a draw towards uh, legalism as well. Have you yes. experienced that? Yes, I have. Especially, in, especially in the cook unit, it seems. Yeah, to me. it's the truth. So, and, and because prisoners are, are creatures of habit, so they're thinking that, listen, Americans are... Americans are, are, are like this. We just believe that if we get something, if somebody gives us something, we owe them something. To understand the gospel is a free gift is hard for people to understand. Yeah. Now in prison, they're thinking by what they can do, they can earn God's favor. Mm -hmm. So it just becomes legalism, you know. Yeah. And I think that's what I find. So legalism, prison. transactionalism. Yeah, all exactly. Of it's, it's more of a transaction out here, but it's more of a legalistic yes. type thing in the prison. Exactly. Yeah. But it's essentially the same, same thing. error. Yeah. And it, because we don't know what it is to get some, we figure if somebody gives me something for f something, there's an ulterior yeah. motive behind it. You yeah. know, it's just a natural part of the game. Somebody invites you to dinner, you got to invite them back. You exactly. got to send a thank you card or you're anathema. But yeah, they, got, they have a lot of legalism in prison, yeah, for sure. sure, okay. Uh, what's your favorite book in the Bible to read? Um, <clears throat> well, I... Uh, I'm trying to think the favorite book. Uh, you know, I, I, I think one of the... For me... One of, the, one of the shortest, most profound, and misunderstood books in the Bible is the book of Ruth. And I, I've um, done extensive study and extensive teaching on the kinsman redeemer. Yeah. On, I try to tell people that this is not about a love story. This is about a line. This is about a keeping together of the line where the eventual line... The messianic line? Yeah, mean, where yeah. Christ will come. So I... Um, I turn around and I, I think Ruth, I love the book of Ruth. Um, I also like the book of Revelation, I, but I preach Revelation exegetically. I don't go into those, you know, views that you see. I just preach the text. I've preached through the book of Revelation. Um, so you don't preach it with an eye towards no, what your millennial no, view is. No, it's just I, you're just doing no, exegetical preaching. I just preach preaching. the text. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Uh, you know, they can make their own conclusions. Right. I don't... Uh, I Thank that. you, yes. <laughs> There's a lot of conclusions about that, right? Oh, my goodness. Too many. Yeah. Um, so, I, 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 right now, I'm doing Ruth in Bible study. I, I, I've done Ruth on a sermon series. I like... I, I think the book... Of, you know, when you got somebody like a Moabitess that becomes in the line of Christ, I can relate to that, man. Yeah. You know, I, I really can. I mean, that's like... You're talking about God being a respecter and no... Of, of, Persons, you know, no persons. So. Yeah. So you also mentioned um, a verse from Genesis 50 tonight. Uh, you referenced that. Um, and it seems to me that maybe the story of Joseph also, uh, you resonate with that as well. Yeah, I, um, you know, I, I, I've always explained to my congregation that you can't, you can't look ahead towards providence. You can only look back on providence. So in my life, I can look back and say what I meant for evil, God meant for good for me going to prison. 
Yeah. But you can never know. You never know that day of the game. Um, you you know that looking back. You look back on Providence and you say, man, this is the reason why I went to the bookstore. This is the reason why I went to prison. This is why I went to Black Canyon in the bookstore that night with Rachel. So you know, you look back on those things, Greg, and you know God was providentially the mover and shaker. You know, and you know that later. You don't kind of know that day of the game. Does that make sense? Yeah. Do you see any of your family today now? I do. My mom, my mom, Rachel's mom just passed away about six weeks ago. They were very close. Um, my mom passed away three, three years ago. I do see my brother. My brother's not a Christian. Um, does he live I, in Scottsdale still? He does. Yeah. He does. He does. What does he do? Um, he, he's got a pretty good job, Frank. Um, he does medical billing, so he's got a pretty oh, good wow. job. Uh, so, I asked you what your favorite book in the Bible is to read. What's your favorite book to preach? Does it, is there a difference? Yeah, I, I... You know, so what I do every Sunday, if, I, if, if you... I'm not going to... You've got, you got enough sermons to listen. You don't have to go listen to my sermons. But I always preach an Old Testament text and always try to line it up with a New Testament text every Sunday. Because I believe that a lot of people don't read the Old Testament today. Yes. So what I try to do is exegetically, I try to get a, uh, an, an Old Testament story and give it a New Testament control. So every Sunday I'm preaching the Old Testament and the New Testament, every Sunday. Yeah. Because I believe the Old Testament, especially for Southern Baptists, you know, People say I'm in, you know, we're a New Testament church. Well, what does that mean? I don't know what that means. What about the Old Testament? Well, you know, I'm just so I, I something I do that like with that. Yeah, we we've been going through the Book of Exodus, and a lot of lights have been going on with um, the connect, the easy and clear connection to the gospel. Without a doubt. You know, to Jesus, to what sacrifice really means, and all of that. So that's been really good for us. So what, what uh, you're about to say something, go ahead. No, I, you know, I, I know that sometimes when you hear guys prison, you know, dramatic, I don't really have a dramatic story, but I got a dramatic change in my life. But I didn't see no light, so, you know, I was just in the prison cell reading the Bible, you know, I mean. What was it like that moment when you just suddenly said, oh, this is real? Was there anything that you I, just... The, I remember saying I'm serving the wrong God. And that was it? That's enough, right? Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> next thing you know, yeah. No, right, I'm, awesome. Frank, yeah. I'm, I'm not yeah. being, you know, I don't, I mean, you know, once you, that's like saying, hey, right darkness to light, I would yeah. think, you know. Yeah. But, and God is kind. I was, listen, I didn't walk an aisle. I didn't say a prayer. I didn't, I read the Bible and I got saved. Yeah. You know, I. You know. God's word is powerful. And first and second kings. Yeah. Yeah. Where's the gospel in there? Well, there's a gospel in there, right? Yeah, right. Right. So um, when you grew up, you played some sports when you were growing up? I did. Tell me tell us about the sports you played when you were growing up. So I I played baseball. I was I played the position of the tools of ignorance. I was a catcher. <laughs> I also played ice hockey. Good for um, you. A big hockey fan, yeah, and I played uh, football, yeah. I played three sports. What's that jersey you're wearing right now? 
You trying to make a statement tonight? Yeah. Oh, Eli don't play any. He's on. He's second string now. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Two Super Bowl rings, right? I know. Two Super Bowls he wasn't supposed to win. Yeah, that's right. Um, I think aren't the Giants um, one of the few teams that has a that has a worse record than the Cardinals too? Is that? Did yeah, I get that right? we're terrible. Yeah. Okay. We're terrible. What is the one question that I didn't ask that you wished I would have asked you? Why am I here? Why are you here? To give glory to God. Yeah. Really. I mean, that's, I mean, I, you know, and Frank, uh, Frank's a dear friend of mine, and I, you know, this is a long ride for me and Rachel, but, you know, when uh, he asked me to come, he made me an offer I couldn't refuse, so. Potbelly subs. <laughs> Yeah, they had soup and subs tonight, so, yeah, that's good. Um, we do have a great friendship. We do. And I feel, I feel God's favor because um, he put us together for whatever reason, and maybe it's for nights for like a, this. For such a time as this. Yeah, yeah, there's right. Esther, yeah, one of my favorite books. Um, we have a couple of extra minutes. If anybody has a burning question, you'd like that. Barb, you have a question? Yeah, that happens a lot. Yeah. Yeah, so first of all, you're doing the right thing by, by setting the Bible. And Hang on one second. For the podcast, the question is, um, a lot of people are Christians in prison, but then they struggle when they get out and they start serving the wrong gods when they get out. So what happens? So, so my thing is, the first question is, are they really Christians? Mm -hmm. So the thing is, you're doing the right thing by setting the Bible. But again, and I know this is, I don't want to get highly theological or something, but I want to be really honest, is that salvation is a God thing. And all you can do is do what you're doing. And if it's real, it's going to be real and it's going to come out in the end. Um, but what you're doing is admirable and that's all you can do. Um, Paul preaches, uh, uh, Paul plants, Apollos waters, God grants the increase. Yeah. Um, so it's admirable what you're doing. Just continue to pray for him. Um, even maybe God will use, maybe God will use prison for the real salvation experience. Maybe the fourth time he has to go back. Um, but I, you know, does that help? I mean, I, I, there's no answer to that because that's, you know, I, I wouldn't have an answer to that. But I think that um, something that's always good is discipleship. When somebody gets out, you got to get them into a church and you got to get them discipled. Um, that's really helpful. Um, that's what they did with me. But again, I believe I was saved at the time. So keep doing what you're doing and pray for him. So I hope that helps. I'm sorry. Steve?
So, yes. the, so the question is, um, yeah. are you aware of alongside ministries and how effective can we be in partnering with ministries like that to help people who are transitioning out of prison? Yeah, I'm part of alongside ministries. So I'm very familiar with them. I go into the prisons. You know, I, I think that, um, first of all, pray for Frank every time he goes in. I know, I know these things, you know, I don't want to sound holier than thou with stuff like that, but prayer is so important. There is a lot of spiritual warfare in those prisons. There's a lot of stuff that goes on. There just is. Um, so, and the only, thing, the only thing that you guys can do is if, when, if Frank is ministering to somebody and, then peop, and that person gets out as a Christian, come alongside them. You know, be like a, a, a mentor to them. If you, if you got that, that, that's a calling too. I mean, it's not, not, every, not everybody's called to do this. But I think the best thing, and, and even f for yourself, when, when the, the son or the brother or the cousin or people get out of prison, they're going to need the body of Christ to stand beside them. That's the hardest work. And, and the problem is today, and I, we say this all the time, we have to understand our culture before we could speak into the culture. This is not like 50 years ago, just, you know, repent and believe the gospel. You got to know the culture. You got to hear people before they'll hear you. So if you're going to get involved with prisoners, you have to have a good ear and you just pray that God opens up a door where you can minister to them. Because if you don't hear them, they'll never hear you. It's just... Yeah, that's true. It's different times today. And that's true in a bunch of different and No, contexts. it is. No, I know. Yeah. It is. It is. You're right. Yeah. Um, hang on, Ben. Um, Stephanie, th I just thought of this. Uh, if you could maybe in the next five minutes put some of those, um, bring up some of those pictures that Chaplain Lee sent us. We could show a couple of those anyway. Ben, you had a question. So the question is about Sabbath, especially for guys, in, for you, and then for guys getting out of prison. This is a, this is a great question and a great challenge to myself. Um, so I'm wired not to rest that much. And so this is a challenge for me. But I think there's, there's so much truth in what the brother is saying. And I think that... Um, I think you have to find your rest, whatever makes you rest. Now, rest might be for you for sleeping. It might be right for Frank to watch a hockey game. And I'm not being, it just, yeah. but you have to find that spot where, so for me, my rest is when, and I'm not, again, I want to get holier than out, is when I'm alone with the Lord. Because here's my deal. So here's what I do. And I only say this by way of answering the question.
what I do is I try to get up four or five o'clock in the morning because I try to spend the first few hours of my day alone with the Lord. Because once you get to the church, all bets are off. That's right. You don't know, once you walk in here, you may not spend, be able to spend a minute with the Lord. And I'm just saying that because it's just the way it is. So I think if I'm answering your question right, and, and maybe I'm not because I need to hear what you're saying, and maybe you can tell me. But my rest for me is when I'm alone with the Lord. So I think that everybody needs that rest. But also people need a rest rest, a Sabbath rest of just resting and contemplating on the Lord, whether that's on a Sunday or a Saturday, but they probably need to put a day on the side to, to yeah. contemplate on, on Do you on have things. a day set aside? I don't. See, I have, I have Monday set aside for I me. Yeah. I, you know, and this is a challenge for me because I'm wired like that, yeah. but, but you're right and I'm wrong on that. But I, I, for, me, for me, I get that rest in the morning when I'm, I'm alone with the Lord, but I probably need to do better at that. So that's challenging. Thank you for that. Yeah. Any other questions? Do you have some pictures? Yeah? So don't do all the ones of me. He took too many of me, but there's... So we had about 120 guys at this worship service a couple Saturday nights ago down at South Unit. Um, and... There is, this, I, this is what I wanted you guys to see. This was amazing. I never thought this would happen. So we're in South Unit. <clears throat> South Unit is a sex offender unit. And Reagan and Malia have been in, um, have been in uh, several of the units down there in Florence over the years. Um, they've even gone to a level four unit where uh, the really violent criminals are. Um, but they've never been to South Unit, the, um, the sex offender unit. And we took three of the, the, the ladies down, so Amy, Malia, and Reagan. And we asked before they went down, it's the sex offender unit, are you willing to go? And all three of them didn't even hesitate. They said, yes, we're going. Um, Caleb also. Caleb had never been in the prison, and Amy had never been in the prison, period. And uh, here is Amy playing keys next to Steve Henderson, a guy I write. He's playing keys with her as well, filling in. And if you see over here... You have Carl, who's our percussionist. So this has never happened before in prison, where we brought a team down to, to do the music, and some of their musicians jumped in and just played with our musicians. So it was, it was really cool. Uh, Caleb and Reagan led. Uh, that was the crew that went down, and that's Chaplain Lee, um, who uh, uh, is the chaplain down there. This guy, there's, we've been through a number of chaplains. You know Chaplain Lee, don't you? Yes, Dominic? Yeah. So sure. we've been through a number of chaplains down there, and Chaplain Lee has been around for a long time. Chaplain Lee gets stuff done that nobody else can get done. I have never been able to preach in South Unit until Chaplain Lee got there because I visit guys in South Unit, so I can't do that. The Department of Corrections won't let me do it, but uh, he was able to pull some strings and, and allow me to do that. So for the first time in... Uh, 20 years, I've been writing and visiting Joe Camara for the first time in 20 years. I got to worship alongside Joe in a worship service, and he's getting out in two years. That was really special uh, for me. Go back to, uh, by the way, go back to Chaplain Lee. I want to tell you a little story about him. So he's kind of a tall guy. So the only person in the world taller than Caleb is Chaplain Lee. I don't know if you noticed that, but Chaplain Lee is about 6'6", and um, when he was in his prime... Um, they were calling him the next uh, Julius Irving. How many of you remember Julius Irving? Okay. 
They were saying he was going to be the next Julius Irving, the next Dr. J. And um, then he blew out his knee. And the best he could do was play a couple years in the European leagues. And then he um, came over here, uh, came back to, to Arizona and started becoming uh, a chaplain and a pastor. Uh, so I was telling, <laughs> I was telling Caleb, I said, uh, Caleb, this chaplain that you're going to meet tonight, um, he was going to be the next Julius Irving. And he said, you mean the emperor of Greece? <laughs> I, I, he, he didn't even get the na- he didn't even get the empire right. I mean, that's actually Rome that he was referencing. He didn't even, but, but here's a, the point of that is not to make fun of Caleb. Okay, um, in his context, Caleb's really smart. <laughs> it's, it's just here's here's the reason I make this point. I can't believe how young people are anymore. Can you? Isn't that something? He has. Caleb has no idea who Julius Irving is. Um, I'm famous for telling Reagan that uh, she has a voice like Stevie Nicks. And the first time I said that to her, I said, you you know, you sound like Stevie Nicks. And she said, who's he? Yeah, so I know. But anyway, uh, but it was a great time. And and Chaplain Lee did all that for us. He was able to do that. Yeah, he's He's a really good guy. guy, Straight shooter, man. Yes, he is. Yeah. Any other questions tonight? Uh, Steve, would, could you come up and pray for Dominic and pray for me tonight? You're an elder here. You can pray, right? <laughs> okay, yeah. Would you do that for us? And thank you all for being here tonight. Thank Dominic for being here tonight. Really appreciate it. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this evening. Thank you for the chance to get to know Dominic and his wife and the story that they they have. Everyone has their own story, and, and his is a very special one, uh, a one of redemption from an unlikely beginning, and that's what you do with us. Uh, wherever we are, when you grab us, uh, we have our own individual stories, and uh, they all have their own uniqueness, but they lead to the same place, a place at the cross, a place where uh, we get to have eternal life, and we get to serve you for the rest of our time here on earth. Um, please let the story of, of Dominic and, and his, his trials and his travails inspire us and encourage us to, to reach out to everyone, no matter what their circumstance, and preach the news of, of your gospel boldly and without fear and with energy and enthusiasm. And uh, please bless uh, Dominic's ministry and his church, uh, and let us leave here tonight with, uh, with some lightness and joy in our heart because of what you've done for him and, and what you do for us every day. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Will.